if you were in, art, in an art class and they asked you to draw a picture of freedom, what kind of image would you use? Would you draw a picture of a hot air balloon flying high in the air? Because here's the image of just getting away from it all, an image of being free and unrestricted. Or maybe you draw a picture of a child on a swing. Here they are gliding through the air, swinging back and forth, big smile on their face. They just seem to be so carefree and lighthearted, so happy and uninhibited. You watch this child swinging back and forth, laughing and giggling, having the time of their lives. And at that point in time, they just seem to be free of any worries or fears or distractions. Or maybe to capture that notion of freedom, you paint a mountain range with a force that has yet to be explored. Here's a part of nature where no human being has ever been before. So here's a part of nature still wild and untamed. Here's a part of nature that's still fresh and pristine and pure, hasn't yet been spoiled by all the garbage that tourists bring. How do you capture that idea of freedom? I mean, here's an idea so, so big and so powerful and so extraordinary. How do you describe it? How do you explain it? How do you draw a picture of it. But what's fascinating to me is the Apostle Paul once drew a picture of freedom. It was Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. In fact, throughout the entire book of Galatians, he's trying to explain what it really means to be free in Christ Jesus. And so he comes to chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, let me draw you a picture. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed and that expression, clearly portrayed, literally means to put something on a large poster and then hang it in a public place so everybody can see it. But what kind of picture did the Apostle Paul put on that poster? He drew the picture of a cross. Galatians 3.1, before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. <laughs> How does the cross picture freedom? Here is Jesus nailed and confined to a tree. Here is Jesus at that moment in time. He's actually under a curse from God the Father. Here is Jesus being treated like a criminal. Here is Jesus where the Roman soldiers have taken the last garment that he owns and they strip it off of him. And now the soldiers sit at the foot of the cross gambling to see who's going to take that robe home with them. Here is Jesus now surrounded by all his enemies and being viciously insulted and ridiculed by him. How does the cross picture freedom? Well, maybe the Bible is telling us that we've got the wrong understanding of freedom. Because when we tend to think of freedom, we think of the absence of any kind of confinement, the absence of any kind of restraint. Don't let anything hold me down. Don't let anything hold me back. Let me hop into that hot air balloon and just get away from it all. And yet the Bible says, you know, freedom's not that simple. Sometimes it's the very things that confine and restrict that actually liberate and make it possible for you later on down the road to experience something you couldn't have experienced in any other way. For example, here's a young man who falls madly in love with a young lady. And because of his love for this young lady, he's eager to know, he's, he's looking for every opportunity he can in order to please her. So he'll go out of his way to learn about every single detail of her life so he can discover what is it that she really likes. And when he learns what that is, he'll do his very best in order to get that for her, no matter what it costs. Money's no option, no matter how inconvenient it might be. Because of his love for this young lady, this young man will now find himself watching movies he normally wouldn't have watched before, chick flicks. Because of this young lady, he's now spending a lot of time with her parents, and he's now spending a lot of time playing with her little brother and little sister. Again, things he normally wouldn't do, but because of his love for this young lady, he now feels like, her wish is my command. 
And the whole time this is going on, his friends are standing off the side and looking at him, shaking their heads. Man, what got into you? What happened to you? What's wrong? Don't you see she's leading you by the nose? Young man doesn't feel like that. Even though he's limited himself to spending all this time just with her, he doesn't feel like a slave. He doesn't feel like he's being oppressed. No, he feels like he's in heaven. Because of this immense desire he has to want to be close to this young lady, he now willingly allows all kinds of limitations to be placed upon his personal freedom so that he can get closer and closer to her. Now, isn't that how love operates? I mean, whether it's love for a friend or love for a spouse or love for a child, do you not willingly surrender some of your rights? Do you not willingly let go of some of your independence so you, you can enter into a greater level of intimacy with that other person? You now allow that other person to say in what you do. You now allow that other person to say in how you live your life. Think of it as a parent. Because you love your children. Do you not allow them to hinder your own freedom to be able to work and play? I mean, you're all the time sacrificing all kinds of sleep, time, and money just so you could be in a place where you can help them out every day. You surrender your freedom to do what you please, so that you can adjust to their schedules. Every day you're allowing yourself to be inconvenienced and interrupted by their questions and their needs and their sickness and their struggles. Every day you allow yourself to be imposed upon by their homework and their ball games and their outings. You're all the time willingly allowing all these restrictions on your own dreams and desires so that one day each one of those precious children can have a life and a freedom that wouldn't have been possible for them had you not been willing to make all those sacrifices on their behalf. And is that not what we see with God? The ultimate expression of love, the love that God showed for us. Wasn't God radically, I mean, in a radical way, adjusting himself to us? Jesus coming to our world, Jesus confining himself to a human body with all its suffering and limitations and frustrations, Jesus confining himself to a cross where he willingly submits himself to our condition, taking our sin, taking the punishment for our sin, so now we can be set free from all condemnation. When you look at the cross where Jesus died, do you not hear in the most profound way, do you not hear God saying, I love you. And I love you so much, I'll serve you. I will make this painful sacrifice on your behalf. I will confine myself to the cross so you can have this new life, a life where you're free from guilt and shame and sin. Now, it's that understanding of freedom, a freedom that is now guided by and controlled by the love of God. It's that kind of freedom that the Apostle Paul is trying to describe in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. You see, in this chapter, a question is being asked. The, the church at the city of Corinth had written a letter to the Apostle Paul. He makes reference to this back in chapter 7 and verse 1. Now about those matters that you wrote to me. And in that letter, they asked all kinds of questions. Well, one of the questions they asked is there, chapter 8, verse 1. They said, uh, hey, Paul, what about that food? What about that meat that has been sacrificed to those idols in those pagan temples? You know, as Christians, now we're Christians, can we buy that stuff? Or are we allowed to eat that stuff? Now, you and I may think, hey, what's the big deal here? I mean, that just doesn't really resonate with us. But trust me, it was just a, this was a burning issues for Christians in that first century city of Corinth. And we recognize that that question really is relevant to us when we understand that behind the question is a much bigger concern. What does it really mean to be free in Christ Jesus? You know, as a Christian, what am I free to do? And how does my freedom affect others? And is, is my freedom in Christ ever to be limited in any way in order to show my concern for others? So, for just a moment, let's step back 
Let's go back to that first century situation and see if we can better understand why this food being sacrificed to idols, why is this such a big deal to them? Well, in first century, the first century city of Corinth, if you wanted to eat meat, you need to understand most of that meat originally came from one of the many pagan temples. They were all over the city. One of the many pagan temples where the animal, and they used all different kinds of animals, where the animal had been killed there in the temple grounds, and then a small portion of that meat was put in the fire and then presented as an offering to that particular god that was worshipped at that particular temple. So just a small portion of the meat been used. What do they do with the rest of the meat? Well, part of it they give to the restaurants. There's restaurants all over the city of Corinth, and most of those restaurants are located right next to that pagan temple or right on the temple grounds. And they're located there because now they got access to all this free meat. And because they're offering these animals every single day all over the city, I mean, they're sacrificing these animals. There's an abundance of meat. So what they don't give to the restaurant, they, they sell the rest of that meat to the local butchers who then cut it up and sell it in the marketplace. And also, you need to understand, in the first century world, meat was a treat. You don't eat it every single day. I mean, it's a luxury, not an essential. It's, it's only on special occasions, birthday parties, wedding receptions, other special social occasions. Hey, we're having this big get-together, and we're going to be serving steaks. Really? Hey, you're welcome to come. And boy, people turn out in big numbers. Well, let's say you've grown up in that environment, and now you've become a Christian. And now there's this issue in your mind. Hey, I got an invitation from my friend the other day. They want me to come to that party. I know where the party is. It's at that restaurant. And I know where that restaurant is located. It's located at that pagan temple. Now that I'm a Christian, am I still allowed to attend events like that? Or you come down to the, to the marketplace and you see the steaks are on sale and you love to eat steaks. And wow, this is a bargain. But I know where that meat's come from. And now that I'm a Christian, I mean, I know that meat was once consecrated to an idol in a pagan temple. And now that I'm a Christian, am I even allowed? Is, is it right for me to, to buy this? And your conscience begins to bother you. Why? Well, understand something about the conscience. Your conscience is an umpire, a mental umpire. And in order for this umpire to make good calls, good judgments, good decisions, it needs to be informed in the right way. Your conscience is only as good as the information you're working with. It's only as good as that pool of knowledge that you're drawing upon. Where did that knowledge come from? Well, what you learned from your parents, what they taught you as you were growing up, the advice and counsel that you got from your friends and peers as you were growing up, and then all that other wisdom that you picked up along the way with whatever particular environment you grew up in. Well, if over the years this pool of knowledge that you've acquired, if it's something good, then your conscience is going to be helpful. When you encounter a dilemma of some kind, you've got a choice to make, your conscience can help guide you. Hey, this is fine, this isn't. And it can point you in the right direction. But if that pool of knowledge that you've acquired over the years, if it's weak or it's limited, then your conscience may deceive or mislead you. It may tell you sometimes this is not okay when really there's nothing wrong with that at all. So, let's say you're a Gentile and you grew up in the city of Corinth, which means for years you went to those pagan temples, worshiping Zeus and Aphrodite and the other gods they worship, and you've seen what they do with that meat. Well, years later, you now become a Christian, and so one day you're coming down to the marketplace and you see the meat, and boy, I love to eat steaks, but boy, I follow Jesus. Can, can I buy this? And it troubles you. Why? Because of the, your conscience is beginning to bother you. Why? Because of the kind of background you came from. But let's say you're a Jewish person. You grew up in the city of Corinth too. So even though you grew up in the same place, your conscience does not bother you at all. Why? Because as you were growing up in Corinth, you had a completely different kind of religious background. 
every week on the Sabbath, on Saturday, you go to the synagogue where they unroll the scrolls and they read the scriptures to you. You were taught from the Word of God. And so you were used to hearing prophets like Isaiah. Isaiah is all the time mocking and making fun of idols. Hey, idols? Think about this. You know where that idol came from? It was a tree originally that was chopped down and, and part of that tree was used as wood in your fireplace and the other part they used as wood they covered with some gold or silver fashioned in a statue and now you're bowing down and worshiping it like it's some kind of God? Are you kidding me? This is ridiculous. Think about this. It's just a piece of wood. It's just a piece of metal. It has no power. It has no wisdom. Why are you worshiping that stuff? And because that's what's informed your mind over the years, now years later, you're an adult, you come down to the marketplace, you see the meat on sale, you have no qualms at all about buying it. Yeah, I know it came from a pagan temple, but I also know because I've been taught by the Word of God, the idols are nothing. That idol in no way contaminated that piece of meat. That steak is a gift from God. So I'm going to buy it, I'm going to eat it, and I'm going to enjoy it. And as that Jewish man eats that piece of meat, his conscience does not bother him at all. Why? Because through the years, his conscience has been informed by a different set of facts. Well, now you have this Jew and this Gentile, and they both become Christians. And now every Sunday, they get together with the church there at Corinth. And over the years, they get acquainted with each other, and they become really good friends. And one day, the Jewish man says to the Gentile man, why don't you come to my house for lunch? You've never been to my place before. We ought to spend some more time together. And the Gentile man says, hey, that's great. When he comes over to his house that day, does the Jewish man pull the steaks out of the freezer? I mean, this meat, he's got no qualms about this, but he doesn't do that. Why? Because he understands for his Gentile friend, hey, he came from a different background than me. This could be a real, it's not a dilemma for me, but it could be a dilemma for him. And he understands that his Gentile friend is not being honoring, contagious, and just being difficult to be difficult. No, this is a real struggle for him. And understand, in this situation with this Jewish Christian and this Gentile Christian, it's not a matter that one's right and the other's wrong, or that one is a saint and the other's a sinner. No! Both of them, the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian, they're in good standing with the Lord. No, the difference here is because these two different men came from two different environments, so one has a weak conscience and the other one doesn't. And so the Apostle Paul is teaching here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, when you as brothers and sisters in Christ, when you have these kind of differences between you, don't let these differences divide. No, because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you let the love of Christ guide everything you do. You now let that love of Jesus compel you to make whatever sacrifices are necessary so that the two of you can get along with each other. Meaning what? Meaning in this situation, the Jewish Christian, the man with a strong conscience, he begins to recognize, hey, what's good for me is not necessarily good for him. And because this man is my brother in Christ, because I care deeply about him, I'm keeping the steaks in the freezer. And today we're just going to prepare vegetables. So what's lying on that table is no issue at all. And the two of us can just really focus upon each other and just truly enjoy each other's company. That's the kind of attitude that is being promoted here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Look at what it says. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes now about the food, sacrificed idols. You've asked a really good question, so let's talk about it. He says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but we don't all possess that knowledge to the same level, the same degree. We're not all in the same place. So be careful how you use this knowledge. Why? Because knowledge can puff up. It can make you proud and arrogant. You think you know better than others. and You tend to look down upon others. Hey, this is no problem for me. It shouldn't be for you. No. Knowledge is always a means to an end. 
And the end, the goal in mind, is not just to help yourself, it's to help other people. In other words, your knowledge should always be guided by love. Because knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So use your knowledge in a way that's not just going to build you up, but build other people up too. So verse 2, those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know when they're using their knowledge in the wrong way. Our knowledge should always be guided by the love of God. Verse 3, whoever loves God is known by God. That means to be chosen by God. We were chosen by God so we could enjoy a deep, rich fellowship with Him. We were made to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we were made by God to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love should be the controlling element here. So, Paul says, with that background in mind, let's talk about this question. Verse 4, now about eating food sacrificed to idols. Let's understand we're not all in the same place as far as knowing what's going on here. It says some of us, because we've been taught for years by the Word of God, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world. And that there, the truth is there's no God but one. But not everybody here in the city of Corinth sees it that way. Many of them, even if there are so-called gods, we know they're not gods at all, but they think of them as God. They think that idol has something divine and supernatural behind it. Whether it's a God from heaven above or earth below, they still think there's many gods, many lords. And yet we know the truth is there's but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there's but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. Some of us understand that. Others aren't there yet. Some haven't been Christians for very long. They just don't have that awareness yet. So understand, verse 7, but not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people, because of their pagan backgrounds, they are still so accustomed, because that's the life, the only life they'd known before they came to know Jesus. They are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat that meat, when they eat that sacrificial food, they still think of it as having once been sacrificed to a god. And so because their conscience is weak, it hasn't yet been properly informed. This eating of that meat has a defiling effect upon them. Now, Paul says, let's think about the truth again. The truth is, food does not bring us near to God. We're no worse if we do not eat, and we're no better if we do. But be careful how you use that knowledge. Be careful how you exercise your rights, how you use your freedom. Don't allow yourself to become a stumbling block to others. And here's his example, verse 10. For someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge going to one of those restaurants at that pagan temple. And they're thinking, and this is the situation, you can handle this, but they can't. But they're thinking, hey, if you're a brother in Christ and you're free to do that, I belong to Christ too, maybe it's okay for me to do that too. But what they're about to experience is going to have a different effect on them than it will you. So if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating that restaurant at that pagan temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? And what happens? This weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. You led them astray. And when you sin against them in this way, and it is a sin, and understand how serious this sin is. When you sin against them this way and wound their weak conscience, you're not just sinning against them, you sin against Christ Himself. This is serious. So, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, In this situation, what should my attitude be? He says, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Way back in the Late 1800s, there was a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon. And every Sunday morning, more than uh, 20,000 people would pack themselves into this building just to hear this guy preach. He was a mighty man of God. But the stress and the pressure that came with leading a church of that side was just immense. 
And so sometimes to just kind of get away from it all, to be able to relax and unwind, every once in a while, Charles Spurgeon would find a private smoke, or a private spot. <laughs> I'm getting to this. And he would light up a good cigar and enjoy a nice smoke. Now, this was never an addiction for him because he didn't do it that often. But this was something that brought him a great deal of pleasure. So every once in a while, he'd try to find that private spot and he would just smoke a good cigar. Well, one day, Charles Spurgeon is walking down the streets of London when he notices a sign, a sign hanging in a store window. And the sign reads, we sell the same cigars that Charles Spurgeon smokes. And he's stunned. He's thinking, they're using my name to sell cigars. They're using my name to encourage other people to smoke. And suddenly he realizes what's a freedom for me could end up becoming a stumbling block for somebody else. What's an occasional pleasure for me could end up becoming a dangerous addiction for somebody else. I don't want to be responsible for that. So he walked into the store, talked to the owner. He says, you take that sign down because I will never smoke again. And from that moment on, he never put another cigar in his mouth. Why? Because Charles Spurgeon realized no man is an island. Every life makes an impact. But what kind of impact? Every day I'm influencing others, but am I influencing them to get closer and closer to Jesus? You see, what's good for me is not necessarily good for you, and vice versa. So every day we've got to keep constantly asking this question, this good thing that I do. If in doing this good thing it would hinder another person from knowing and serving the Lord, would I be willing to set that good thing aside? Yes, I am free in Christ, but am I using that freedom to help others or to hurt them? Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for the freedom that we find in Christ. Just this blessing of knowing that we're saved, that we're forgiven of all our sins, that because of Jesus there is now no condemnation for us. Wow, what a blessing. God, just knowing this blessing that we belong to you and that for all eternity, you will always take care of us. What a blessing it is to be a child of God. But God, today we're praying, enable us. Enable us to use this freedom in a way that helps others. Enable us, God, to serve and care for others so that they too can experience and enjoy that freedom in Christ. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.